Making their way out, take your Bibles and turn with me to Second Thessalonians. Uh, we are going to begin Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, you will notice very quickly right off the bat that if you go back to his first letter and look at chapter 1 and notice the first couple of verses, and you take second, his second letter, chapter 1, the first couple of verses, that the salutation is just about identical in both of them. Some wonder how long, how long was the gap between the first letter and the second letter. Well, it depends. Some feel like that is probably somewhere, approximately somewhere around maybe a year, written somewhere probably close to A.D. 50, and that these letters were probably written while Paul was in Corinth. And uh, so as you consider all of that surrounding his second letter, uh, his second letter is uh, a fairly short letter, uh, only has three chapters in it when you look at it, but Paul is going to address something very specific in this second letter. And so we're going to this morning be looking at chapter 1, verse 1 through verse number 12, and make our way through each portion of this first part of Paul's letter. And it's an interesting letter because really you find the gist of the letter or the purpose behind Paul's letter is actually found over in chapter number 2 of Second Thessalonians. And it's actually found uh, over in verse 2 of chapter number 2. We find the actual purpose. And he's going to address the subject of the day of the Lord and the concern of the Thessalonians there in Thessalonica concerning this and the church and it was causing confusion in the church so when you look at verse 2 of 2nd Thessalonians chapter number 2 notice what Paul writes he says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So in other words, what he is dealing with here is those in the church of Thessalonica had been told already that the day of the Lord had come. And Paul wanted to make sure that they understood that the day of the Lord had not yet come. You're still okay, all right? You're still here. The Jesus Christ has not returned yet. The church is still here. The church is still functioning just the way God intended for it to. So he wrote it from that perspective to deal with the false teaching that was taking place in the church. But he also wrote it for another reason. And I think sometimes we get so hung up on that passage in chapter number 2 that we miss probably one of the most important aspects of this second letter of Paul. And here it is. He also encourages the believers to persevere in their faith and in their walk, understanding that the time for the church at Thessalonica, they were spending their time in a, in a very difficult environment that they found themselves in, in a culture that was not very good when it come to believers in Christianity. Matter of fact, they were dealing with persecution and affliction on top of it. And so Paul, writing this second letter in an attempt to try to encourage them to persevere 
and continue walking by faith in their life each day. So in other words, I guess if you were to put something here, it would be something like this, endurance through opposition. Even though opposition occurs, their endurance was still in place. And Paul acknowledges that again in this second letter. In the entire first chapter, he goes through and he recognizes and he talks about that. Well, I want to share three thoughts with you this morning out of this second letter, out of chapter number one. Beginning in verse one and verse two, I want to read those and then we're going to move quickly right on to verse number three. And we see it's very similar to his first letter in his introduction or his salutation, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. So Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, getting them to understand that the church was important, founded uh, in God our Father as well as on the cornerstone Jesus Christ himself. And verse 2, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the salutation. We move to verse 3 and verse 4. And this is where I believe we find, or the first thing that I would like to share with you this morning, found in verse 3 and verse number 4. And let's read those two verses together. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. And that's, that's interesting that Paul says that we, we ought always to thank God for you, to give thanks to God for you. Brethren, he said, this, it, it, this is only fitting. It's fitting that we should do that because your faith is greatly enlarged. In other words, let me tell you, the church at Thessalonica, here's what Paul saw in the church at Thessalonica. The believer's faith in the church at Thessalonica was growing. It wasn't static. It wasn't declining. It was growing. Matter of fact, their faith was being enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. So he's watching this as not only their faith grows, but their love also grows. And they're concerned about each other. And you come to verse number 4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. For your perseverance and faith in the midst of all of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Let me give you that my first thought of Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse three and verse number four. I see I believe we see Paul's desire for a cooperative ministry. For a cooperative ministry. I want you to notice the first part of verse number 3. What did, he, what did he say about verse 3? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. Look down at verse number 4. We speak proudly of you among the churches of God. Couldn't, couldn't you imagine in a cooperative spirit to be able to speak of each other, to be able to speak of churches uh, together from, from a whole as we encourage each other in, 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 in the task that has been given to us each and every day. What Paul does here in this second letter is he shares what is good among the churches. And all of those things that are taking place in the churches as Paul is on his missionary journeys. He's planted these churches all around the region. 
And as he watches them, he sees the church at Ephesus. He watches the church at Philippi. He sees the church at Colossae. He sees the church at Thessalonica. He's watching all of these churches as they're beginning to change and as they're beginning to grow in face of the opposition and the persecution and the affliction that they found themselves. My dear friend, listen to me. They were growing. They were growing in their faith. They were growing in all of those things that Paul had invested in all of them. And so when you read these, and Paul says we ought always to give thanks for you. We ought to give thanks for each other and for the church. But he shares what is good among the churches with the goal of generating something. And I believe here's what Paul wanted to generate. A mutual and respect and gratitude to God. For what? For the churches. The churches of like faith and practice, those who had believers that were followers of Jesus Christ to encourage one another, to, to create this environment of cooperating ministry together. Couldn't you imagine if we could do that here today? You know, it's amazing to me that every Sunday in the West, the Western church is where so completely, just oftentimes, divided and, and matter of fact if we're not careful we find ourselves building up our own little individual kingdoms over here couldn't you imagine what we could do is if many of our churches that we fellowship with could come together in cooperation with each other to support each other to pray for each other to be there for each other to walk alongside of each other to encourage each other in our walk of faith and oftentimes what we do is we we get so focused right here that we lose sight of the, the great work that God is doing across, not only here in the West, but also around the world. But Paul also was looking to do something else. He had the goal of generating love, and he speaks about the love of the Thessalonians for each other. And matter of fact, to have love for each other, to have love among the churches that we love fellow believers and as we walk with them and as we minister together with them to see that great love amongst each one of us as we as we minister and then if that wasn't enough one of the other things that paul sought to do and had the goal of generating and that was an example and encouragement for each other of their faith of their faith in the midst of persecution in the midst of affliction i want you to understand the church at thessalonica was continuing to grow in spite of the persecution that was there that they saw in and out every single day that was seeking to tear down and completely destroy the false teachers were there they were teaching a false doctrine hey you've missed it the day of the lord has already come this is where you are and that wasn't paul's desire let me tell you what my desire is and i'll just i'll share with you after reading paul's letter to the church at thessalonica here his second letter to them I often wonder sometimes i wonder how god sees us today i wonder how he sees the church today you know i've often wondered what we could accomplish together and where we find ourselves today building our own little individual kingdoms versus what god desires for us look at verse four i want you to notice again what paul speaks about he says therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of god for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure we speak proudly of you among the churches 
do we? Do we? Or do we get to the place today that we're so concerned that this one over here is going to grow faster than us over here? Or look at what they're doing. Do we get so caught up on seeing the physical, temporary things versus the work of God across the board? I believe Paul's desire was to create this environment of cooperative ministry. Next, in verse 5 through verse 8, I think Paul wants to make it very clear, and this is one of the subjects that people have a difficult time talking about today, and it's the justice of God. Look at verse 5 through verse number 8. And he said, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you're suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's the subject that we don't, this is the area we don't like to go down. This is the area we don't like to go to. But God is a just God, and so therefore, being a just God as he is, he must deal with sin. And he must deal with those that are in opposition to him. That is something that God must deal with. And as Paul relates all of this here in his letter and makes it very, very clear and very plain. But I want you to understand something this morning. What Paul deals with here in verse 5 through verse number 8 is not something new. In matter of fact, the subject is contained in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's called the judgment of God. And that's a place that people don't want to go to today. They just feel like today that because of grace and because of the love of God, therefore it negates anything about God when it comes to the judgment of God or comes to the wrath of God. My dear friend, one of the things that you need to understand and you need to, go, you need to hold on to, God is a just God. God will deal with sin. God is a God of wrath as well. I agree. God is a God of love. That he is. But my dear friend, listen to me. You walk in opposition to him, you're going to deal with the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And I think sometimes we get so hung up on this thing and on this subject today that, well, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He loves us, and because of his grace, therefore, every one of us at some point in time, at some point in time in, in, in the future, we're all going to wind up in the same place. My dear friend, listen to me. That is not the case. And what Paul wants them to understand here in this chapter of his second letter, I want you to notice the first part of verse number 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. I'm thankful today that God in his love and in his grace for me has declared me just in his sight. Not just because of who I am, but just because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Not mine. And so for us, the judgment of God, understanding and realizing the judgment of God, let me tell you what it ought to do. It ought to move us 
in our conversations that we have with people concerning the gospel, understanding and realizing that one day if you die without Jesus Christ, you will come under the judging hand of God himself. And I could never imagine what that could possibly be like to have to stand at the great white throne judgment of God and hear the words of God when he declares to you, you are not written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life is open. All the other books are open. And it's not for God to determine whether or not your name's written there or not. It's for you to see that it's not. Because if you're at that place, something's wrong. And to have to hear God say to you, depart from me, you wicked or cursed, because I never knew you. My dear friend, please listen to me today. Without Jesus Christ in your life, that's what you have to look forward to, is the judging hand and the wrath of God. But it's a subject in the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning the judgment of God. And so what is the judgment of God? It's a vindication for the righteous. Now watch this. And destruction for those opposed to God. It's a vindication for the righteous and also a clear picture of the very destruction of those opposed to God. Well, what about this vindication for the righteous? Well, let's go to the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter number 6. And it's interesting that we find these words, Revelation chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse number 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. To avenge. Well, let me, let me share something with you. Not only do we have it in Revelation, it goes all the way back. It begins in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Even Abel's blood cried out. So when we consider the judgment of God and, and consider the magnitude of the judgment of God, my dear friend, listen to me. You do not want to fall under the hand of God in judgment or in His wrath. There's something else that we see in verse 5 through verse number 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1 was their willingness to suffer is further evidence of their faith and that their faith was growing even in, the, even in light of opposition their endurance continued the things of God continued in their life and when that opposition came and the question for us today is 
when the opposition comes, it's not if it comes, when it comes. Will we continue in our faith? Will our faith endure when we find ourselves in a difficult spot? And one of the things that I want you to understand, Paul not only addressed persecution, but he also addressed affliction. So whether it's in persecution or in suffering, and even times of suffering in our lives, does our faith endure? Does it continue? What is at the end of our faith? That's the question we have to understand. Let me share something with you this morning. Faith is not static. Let me say that again. Faith is not static. Our faith is either increasing or it's decreasing. It's not static. But let me say this. A growing faith equals a growing believer. When our faith is growing, we're growing as a believer in the things of the Lord and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a cooperative ministry Paul had a goal and a desire to see among the churches. Also to encourage the folks to understand that God is a just God and God is going to deal with sin. He is going to deal with all of those that are opposed to Him. But He also has for us that blessed hope that we have because of the Lord Jesus Christ and because of who He is. But then we come to the third part of the introduction to this second letter. And Paul writes a very interesting component here because now he's going to deal with the eternal separation from God. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means to you. But to understand and realize that if you die without Jesus Christ, you will be eternally separated from God. Eternally separated. Not temporarily, not for a portion of time, but internally, eternally separated. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. Speaking about those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Separated. Absolutely separated. In darkness from the very light of God Himself. For how long? For all of eternity. You can take a little sheet of paper out and you can put a dot on one side, draw a line all the way across that sheet of paper and put a little arrow at the end of that line. That little dot back there represents just how minuscule your life is compared. That line and that arrow represents all of eternity that's going to go for on and on and on and on. Could you imagine being eternally separated from God? Just let that hit home one time. To realize those that, that, that we know, those that are part of our lives, that we, we absolutely know the truth. that need Jesus Christ in their life, if they die without Him. Here's what Paul says. Paul goes through this. He speaks of a cooperating ministry together. He talks about the justice of God Himself. And then he comes to this third part of this letter, and he deals with this eternal separation from God. I can't imagine what that'd be like. I, I just, I, I can't imagine you say, well, Brother Robert, do, do you know you'll not be separated from God? I do. And I know that based upon the promise of the Word of God. 
My trust and faith is in Christ alone. Not by anything that I have done, but everything that he has done. And that's the affirmative that you need to be able to address in your own life today. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity, you would find yourself in the presence of a holy God? I hope you can answer that in the affirmative. If you can't, Paul says, hey, here's what I want you to understand. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When? No, uh, verse 10. When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. The believers in Thessalonica, you believe the gospel. For those who don't, those who oppose God, this is what they have to look forward to, an eternal separation from God. Now, what's interesting is verse 9 and 10 connect back to verse 8. And actually, not only is there this eternal separation, but there's something else here that I think we miss out on when we look at verse, when we look at verse 10. The purposes, there are two purposes that we see here for the return of Christ. I don't want you to miss these. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that day. I, my prayer is, are you ready? I, I, I don't know about you. My prayer is that I'll get to see his return on this side. <laughs> Standing above the ground. But, are, but hold on. But wait a minute. It does not negate the fact that when he returns, those who have died in Christ before us are not going to prevent those. In other words, we're all going together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with what? The Lord. Why? Because of the relationship that we have with him. But think about those who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But I want you to notice verse number 10 because you see both of the purposes for the return of Christ. And here they are. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. Can you imagine what it will be like when he returns? To be glorified in his saints. To get to go home to be with him. To, to, to spend all of eternity with him. Does it excite you? Huh? As we consider that day in our lives? Or does it concern us? You see, Christ will be glorified in his saints. And then second, we see in verse number 10, and I want you to notice the next one. Christ will be marveled at among all who have believed. I've tried to picture what this might be like when he returns. Let me tell you where I go back to. I go back to the book of the Revelation. <clears throat> go back to the book of the Revelation in chapter number 1. When John exiled on the Isle of Patmos was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard a voice behind him. And John recognized the voice of the one behind him. And we have a description of what this one looked like that was behind him. It was the Alpha and the Omega. It was Jesus himself standing behind John. And when John turned around and saw him, what did he do? He 
fell at his face as though he were dead. See, I don't think for you and I, when we see him, Paul said, here's what I want you to understand. He's writing to encourage the church at Thessalonica. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. How important is the testimony? Here's what Paul is encouraging them with, of which all the believers in Thessalonica will be a part of. My question to you, will you be a part of that day? So what if he should, just hypothetically, what if he were to return today? Tomorrow? Next week? Regardless of when that may be, the question to you is, are you ready? So some of y'all are wondering, okay, so Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica. They found themselves in significant persecution and affliction, encouraging them to cooperative ministry, encouraging them concerning the justice of God, encouraging them concerning the eternal, the, the eternal separation from God for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So what does it mean to us? What does this letter have to do with us? What does this first chapter of this second letter have to do with us? Let me share something with you this morning. It ought to serve as an encouragement to us. Understanding and realizing not only as an encouragement to us, but also as an example for us. To do what? To keep going. To stay at it. To endure even when things get difficult. Even when things get sideways. When it seems like all of culture and all of the world just absolutely has everything just contrary to church and to God and everything that's right and moral. My dear friend, listen to me. Let me share this with you. Just do right. Understanding and realizing what we're looking forward to one day in the return of Christ. Paul's encouraging the church at Thessalonica. Here's what he's encouraging them with. Just stay with it. Let your faith grow. Watch God at work. And as we see God at work, our faith ought to grow as a result of it. And as our faith grows as a result of it, let me share this with you. Is God still saving people today? He is. Is the church still seeing growth today? It is. Is God's kingdom still seeing growth today? It is. My dear friend, listen to me. As the church of God, we ought to rejoice with God together about that. Huh? We have a work to do. We've got a task we've been given as a church. And my dear friend, listen to me. It takes everybody on this campus to be involved with what God is doing in this place. Don't ever let anybody tell you for a second that you're done, that you're finished. I was talking to somebody just the other day. We were discussing and we were talking about another location here in the country and the desire for a particular mountain to see a work start in a particular area. And let me tell you what they did. They saw that as an example of, of Caleb's life. How many of y'all remember Joshua and Caleb in the Scripture? 
One of the things that Caleb had a desire that God had promised him was a mountain in the promised land. When they finally got there to the promised land, and Caleb saw that mountain, he came back to Joshua, and here's what he told him. At the ripe old age of 85, he told Joshua, he said, I want that mountain. You know what Joshua told him? Go take it. My dear friend, listen to me. Let me ask you a question. I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, I, I've, I've done my time. There, there's nothing left for me to do. Don't ever, let, don't ever let the devil feed you that lie. We need all of you. Uh, let, me, let me put it to you this way. You ready? God's going to accomplish His will either with us or without us. Now, I don't know about you, but I just want to be a part of it. Do you? You see, our living by faith, especially during times of persecution or suffering, you ready for this? There's evidence to the world about what? That God is still at work and accomplishing in the lives of his disciples what he intends to accomplish. You see, our faith is either increasing or it's decreasing. My question to you today is, which is what is yours doing? Let me encourage you with this today, too. Let me, let me, just, let me just kind of throw this out here, too. We should be living every day in the light of eternity. Living every day in the light of eternity. What do you mean living every day in the light of eternity? Looking forward to that blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the way we ought to live every day. Not in the past, not watching everything that's going on around us that seems to be falling apart and when you talk to people everything's going downhill in a hurry let me share something with you God's not going downhill neither is Jesus Christ and neither is the church we should leave each day in the light of eternity what do you mean brother Robert looking for the glorious return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with a sober mind clear mind looking for his return so what do we need to be doing we need to be busy about the father's business you ready for this here it comes living in his grace and in his strength and not ours so Paul finishes the first part of his letter in verse 11 and verse number 12 <clears throat> to this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do what now? So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. Let me ask you a question. Is that your desire today? should be. Our desire should be for everything that we do for Him to be glorified through it all. 
that your desire? It was Paul's desire. Paul's desire was for everything to be done for the glory of God, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, cooperating ministry, understanding and realizing the justice of God, understanding the significance of an eternal separation from God himself, Oh, how he closes with a word of encouragement. To stay at it, to keep going. Don't quit. Amen.